We are on Subis Lama Dalit Omebez 34b2 in the Art School Gemara. As we are continuing in the Gemara, discussing different aspects of uh, this halacha, this law of Ganav Vitavach, that when a person steals something and then they uh, and then they shecht it, they slaughter the animal, they steal an animal and then slaughter the animal, then in general, when it comes to a shor oset, when it comes to um, an ox or a, or a sheep, where you're going to see a case of a cow, um, that a person would have to pay for four or five times the amount. There'd be a fine for four or five times the amount. And we were discussing different scenarios or possibilities of applying kimle bidirabimine. Do we apply kimle? Uh, basically, if it's a situation where uh, they're in violation of uh, the Torah with the punishment of the death penalty, at the same time as either the stealing or the slaughtering. So what would be the halacha? What would be the law in that case? And we were really trying to focus in on the opinion of Rav Meir. Rav Meir says that in general, we will apply the principle of Kimlite to say that there's an exemption from the payment unless it's a fine. Unless it's a fine, it's a penalty, i.e. the case of Ganavatavach, the concept of paying four or five times the amount, would not apply in a situation of uh, the, the exception uh, would apply and therefore they would have to pay. In general, we would, we would have the principle of Kimle B'Jabimunet to say that there is an exemption. But in the case of a fine, so then according to mayor, you would have to pay. And so we've been discussing in the Gemara in different cases where uh, the stealing happens at, let's say, a person stole and violated Shabbos at the same time, and so therefore that's the actual payment that they have to pay back. So Kimli would apply. In that case, there would be an exemption from payment in that case. However, if, let's say, uh, the person stole before Shabbos, and then the slaughtering, the shechting, takes place on Shabbos, um, so in that case, according to Rav Meir, uh, they would have to pay four or five times the amount, even though they are in violation on Shabbos. A person is not allowed to slaughter an animal on Shabbos. It's one of the 39 malachos, the 39 categories of work on Shabbos, which is not allowed. Um, but even though, and so even though at the very same time in which one slaughters and is required to pay four or five times the amount, uh, they also, that person also violates Shabbos. doesn't matter. According to Rav Meir, if it's, at the same time as a fine, as a penalty, so then you would still have to uh, pay. And so we're going to give other parallel examples uh, in a minute, but just a little bit of an introduction, because we're going to have some nuanced cases, is the following. We know in the Torah there are four types of shomrim, four types of levels of responsibility to the original owner when a person is uh, using somebody else's objects. Uh, so there are four different types of shomrim. Uh, the, fir- the first two are essentially you're, you're guarding, you're watching something for somebody else. So I'm watching something for somebody else. There are two options. Either I'm doing it for free or I'm getting it paid. And so depending on who I am, I have different levels of responsibility. What does it mean, different levels of responsibility? responsibility? It means, let's say something happens to it. Let's say it gets uh, damaged in some way. So maybe um, 
if I was negligent, so then I'm responsible. But what happens if uh, it was a case of an ones, if it was a case of a, it was a beyond my control, so then I shouldn't be held accountable. Uh, what about if it's if it was stolen or if it got lost somewhere in between? So this is uh, the different types of so depending on on the type of guard that you are. So then maybe you'll be obligated uh, to pay back to the owner. Maybe you would be exempt. We're not going to be discussing those two cases right now, uh, but there are other cases as well. What if it's a person's not guarding the the object, but they are using the object? That could either mean that they're renting it that they're paying for usage of somebody else's object, or the case that we're actually going to be discussing is a case of a she'ela. A person borrows it. I borrow somebody else's uh, item. So that requires the highest level of responsibility because I'm, I'm not just watching it. I'm actually using it. I'm allowed to use it. Not only am I allowed to use it, but I'm not even paying for it. It's uh, borrowing without payment. I have the highest level of responsibility. And in most cases... That responsibility even extends to um, to a case of ones where it's beyond my control. I would still be obligated to pay back, even if it was beyond my control that the object uh, somehow broke because I am borrowing it. I am uh, using it without payment, so therefore I would be I would be responsible for it. Okay, that is introduction number one. Introduction number two is that there's also a concept called Nechasa Mishubadim, which is the idea that, let's say, uh, I obligate myself in terms of paying somebody back. Classic case is, uh, I borrow $100 from somebody else. Okay, so I borrow $100 from somebody else. Um, so if there's, if there's a document, uh, so then uh, the word also gets out there that I owe somebody else $100. If I cannot pay for it with money, so then right at the time of the loan, at the beginning of the loan, my... Well, we refer to it as nechasim mishubadim. My property is basically the if I own any property at the time of the loan. So then, uh, my property is, is basically a lien on my property, and the person could collect if I cannot pay back with money. If I have nothing to pay back with, so then uh, the person could collect with uh, my property, with the fields, with my home. Uh, the person could collect with that. So that's also important to keep in mind. As we begin this Gemara. So says this Gemara. Amar Rav Papa. Rav Papa says as follows. Haisa par ganuvalot vacha b'shabes. Chayav. Shekvar nischayav b'ganeva. Kodum shiav olidei yisra shabes. Okay, the first case is a case that we've dealt with in the last class. Uh, but Rav Papa says, let's say a person stole a cow. They stole a cow before Shabbos. So they're obligated to pay back the cow. Now that they slaughter it, if they slaughter it on Shabbos itself, so... Uh, that's a case where they have done an action which is deserving of the death penalty because it was done on Shabbos. And they have to pay four or five times the amount according to Rav Meir because it's a fine. So they still have to pay back four or five times the amount. So that's what we say. You have to pay back everything. However, if a person borrowed, they didn't steal the cow, but they borrowed the cow. And after they borrowed the cow, they then slaughter the cow on Shabbos. Obviously against uh, the rules of, of the agreement here uh, in terms of borrowing the cow, they slaughter it on Shabbos. Putter, he ex- is exempt from paying because at the time on Shabbos that he slaughters it, that's his act of stealing. It was given to him with permission. He was borrowing it. That happened before Shabbos. 
on Shabbos itself, he slaughters it. That act of slaughtering the animal is his form of stealing, and therefore he's exempt from paying back. Because then we do apply the principle of Kimle Abdurabimine. At that very time, he's also deserving of the death penalty because he slaughtered on Shabbos. He doesn't have to pay back. It's not a case of a kinas. It's not a fine. The Gemara asks a very important question. The son of Rava asks Ravashi, moving on to 34b3 in the first column. What is Rapapa teaching us? This is obvious. We just said this. And when I say we just said this, I mean in the last recording, in the last class, we, we just said this a few lines ago, that Rava said the same idea, that if you have a situation of Shabbos, so when it comes to the regular returning, then there's an exemption based on Kimlei. But if it's about the uh, if it's the slaughtering after one stole and the slaughtering takes place on Shabbos, then they're obligated to pay according to mayor because it's a case of a kenas of a fine. What is Rapapa coming to teach us? He just he, he's just switching around uh, the animal. He's now using an example of a cow. Is that what he's coming to teach us? So says the Gemara. Ravashi says no. Amar lei Rapapa sheula laasul hashmina tzaka that the chamin ahov Amar Rapapa mishas mishichud ischayiv lebimzona seha. So then, one might have thought, explains Ravashi, and this is why we gave our introduction, that when one borrows an object, when does the, the, the obligation to pay back, um, if something is wrong, let's say the, the, if the, we're talking about the cow, if it gets damaged, if it dies, uh, when does that obligation kick in to pay back? Does that obligation kick in at the moment which, in which one borrows, at that very moment, just like we say when one borrows an animal, they're obligated to feed it. They have an obligation to feed it right at that very moment. So maybe they also have an obligation that they have to um, return the animal. And so therefore that obligation would exist not at the time of slaughtering it, just if one slaughters the animal or if the animal dies, something happens to the animal during uh, the the time period in which one borrows, so then the original obligation just remains. It can, it, it's, it's not that it kicks in later on. It, it, it's, it has been in existence already from the time in which one borrowed. Um, and so therefore, if that's the case, it really everything starts from the moment, the obligation begins from the moment in which one borrows, so then we cannot really apply the principle of Kimle Bidrabamine, right? Because... Kimle uh, means I do an action, and in that action, I am deserving. The person is deserving of the death penalty, and at the same time, they have an obligation to pay. But if in, in this case, the obligation to pay um, really begins much earlier. It's just that if the cow is not around, so then I have that obligation to pay. So then we should not apply the principle of Kimle. That's what that's what one would have thought. Explains Ravashi. I could have entertained the possibility that. I have, uh, I would have to pay. Kim Lei would not apply in this case because the obligation to pay already begins much earlier at the time of the actual borrowing. Comes along Rapapa and says, no, that's not how we conceptually view this situation. The way we conceptually view the situation is that when one borrows, so then they're just borrowing. If at any point in time while they're borrowing it, something happens to the animal, now there's an obligation to pay. It kicks in now. Uh, at that, at, there's an obligation to, to pay the, the monetary value of the of the animal, and so therefore kimle would apply. And so that's what Rapapa is teaching us. Rapapa teaches us that it the, the the obligation to pay for the animal, the monetary value of the animal, 
does not begin at the very moment in which the borrowing takes place, but, it, but it's when the action actually happens. So the next part of the Gemara, we will see, uh, relates to this position of Rapapa, uh, and we'll see that, do we, do we, do we hold like Rapapa, do we not hold like Rapapa? We'll see another type of example where there's a case of borrowing and whether or not they're obligated to pay would really depend upon whether the obligation to pay, the monetary value, begins uh, at the time of borrowing or does it begin, or does it only kick in at the, at the moment in which um, something happens to the animal. So let's see the next couple of cases. Amar Rava. Rava says, <coughs> excuse me, as follows. Um, the case is as follows. The case is where a father was borrowing a cow they were borrowing, the father was borrowing a cow, and while he was borrowing the cow, so then the father passes away. And so the children inherit uh, his estate. Uh, included within that is that they also inherit the cow during the term, while, it, while until, until the father has to return. He, he obligated himself to return it. They're allowed to use the cow. That's what the law is. So, the children are allowed to use it during the duration for however long it was supposed to be borrowed for. But what happens if it's as follows? Mesa, if the cow dies, even though in general when a person borrows, at the time that they borrow, they obligate themselves to return it or the monetary value, even in a case which it goes against their control, like it dies on its own, but that's in a case where the person himself is the one borrowing, he's obligating himself. But the children, the children never obligated themselves, it sort of just came to them uh, on its own, on its own they, they came to them. So therefore, even though they are borrowing the animal, they're allowed to use the cow, but they do not, they do not obligate themselves in terms of what, let's say, it dies, um, it, if it dies on its own, a natural death, they're not obligated to, uh, to pay back, which is one, uh, one exception to this idea. In general, when one borrows, they do have to pay back, even if it's against their, con- their, their control. In this case, um, they would not be obligated to pay back because they were not the ones who actually borrowed to begin with. Tosvos, one of the classic commentators on the page, does point out they would still be obligated if, let's say, it got stolen or lost. They would be obligated to pay back for that, but specifically when it's against their control, beyond their control, so then they would not be obligated. What happens if it's the following case, says the Gemara? What happens if they didn't realize they're going through the house and there's a cow there? They didn't realize that the father was borrowing the cow. They thought that it belonged to the cow. And what do they do? They shuck the cow, they slaughter the cow, and they eat the cow. So what do they do in that case? So in that case, Mishaman de Mebasar Bazal. In that case, then they do have to pay the lender the amount for the cow's meat at a cheap rate. How much would the, the, the meat cost at a cheap rate? That's how much uh, they would have to pay. And uh, the commentators point out the reason we have to pay there is because there is some level of negligence there, perhaps on the father. Because he should have informed his children that this is not mine. This is really somebody else's. Uh, so in that case, they would have to pay back because they thought it was the father's and then they were, they were negligent in that case. What happens if um, there was a property left over uh, from the point in time, this is getting back to our introduction, from the point in time of the, of the, of the lending it out, there was property left over, so then do you have to pay back with that property? Was that property, was there a lien on that property? Chayav and Lasham, they would have to pay with that property. The question is, this last statement, which case is it going on? Is it going in the case where um, it died on its own? 
and in general they don't have to pay back but if there's property then they would have to pay back or is it going back on the case on the last case that we just dealt with which is they thought it was their father's and therefore uh, they slaughtered it because they thought that it really belonged to their father and so they have to pay back but uh, they could also uh, collect from from the father's property so what case are we talking about there are two cases some learn that it's going on the first case some learn that it's going on the second case so moving on to 34 before basically everybody agrees that it's going on the second case the second case is where they thought that it was the father's there was negligence they're obligated to pay if they're obligated to pay so then for sure they would have to pay back if they have a field that belonged to, to, to their father the question is, what about in the first case? The first case is they knew that they were borrowing it. They didn't slaughter it. There's no negligence. It died on its own. But the father also left property. So do they have to pay back with their property or not? They definitely don't have to pay back at all with their with their money. What about the property that belonged to their father? So there's one opinion that says that they do have to pay back with their property. There's one opinion that says that they don't have to pay back. What's that argument about? It says the Gemara, that argument is exactly about the point of Repapa. Whether or not they have to pay back with, with, with property that belonged to their father. Because if the property, if at the time of the borrowing, when the father originally borrowed, at that point in time, there's an obligation to pay back the cow, if anything happens to the cow. So then there's a lien on their property, at that very, on the father's property at that very moment. And so therefore, there's an opinion that says that even though the kids receive the, the property, but they would have to pay back with that property, because the father already obligated himself in that property at that very moment. However, if you take the position, like Rav Papa, that no, the obligation to pay back does not begin at the moment in which he borrowed, but it happens whenever something happens to the cow. Well, something happened to the cow after the father passed away, and so therefore his property is not um, uh, cannot be used to, to pay back because uh, he didn't obligate himself when he was alive at the time of the borrowing. But it should only happen at the time that the cow um, at the time that the cow. Um, uh, something happens to the cow. The cow was slaughtered. At that point in time, the field did not belong to the father anymore. The father already passed away, and therefore they are not obligated to pay back. Um, sorry, it's not where they slaughtered it. It died. It died on its own. Because it died on its own, they're not obligated to pay back uh, with the father's property. Okay, so it's, a, it's an application of this discussion about repuple. When is the obligation to pay? Is it at the time of the borrowing or when something actually happens? That is the end of that discussion. We now come back. We have a few more minutes. We now come back to the bigger question, right? Going back to the bigger question, which is what we started off with, which is that we have an our Mishnah. Our Mishnah says that uh, when there's a case of um, uh, of a person does an action, in our case it's an action of um, uh, seducing or raping a girl who's between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half. And it's a case, some of the cases were cases where uh, it's a girl who's also a relative and so therefore... A person should be receiving uh, lashes for it. So our Mishnah says that they have to pay the fine. The Mishnah, in a different tract, in different Masaf than Makos, says uh, that they receive lashes. How do you have both? So Rabbi Yochanan said, no, each case, each Mishnah is dealing with a different situation. Uh, Reish Lakish, which is what we've been dealing with, says, no, the position is Rav Meir. So the Gemara says, I understand Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan wants to fit with the majority. They want to fit with the majority. And so it makes sense. So therefore they say, this Mish is talking about one thing, that Mish is talking about something else. But according to Rish Lakish, why does he want to say it's Rav Meir? Rav Meir basically says that Kimle does not apply. We don't apply it here because it's a fine, which is the position of one rabbi. It's a Rav Meir. 
Why would he want to fit it within one rabbi? We generally try not to do that. So let's see. Bishlam Rabbi Yochan Lo Amar Kreish Lakish Dekamukim Lakarabbanan Elo Reish Lakish My time Lo Amar Kreish Lakishan So Amar Lach Kevan Delo Ilu Asrubei Pater Kilo Asrubei Nami Pater So why would Reish Lakish not say like Rabbi Yochanan? Why wouldn't he go like the majority? So says the Gemara and we'll have to continue with this in the next class that says Reish Lakish uh, that that no, Rabbi Yochanan wanted to distinguish and say, you know what, when does Kimle apply? When does the exemption apply? Only when he should really deserve lashes. When, he, when there's a warning involved, two witnesses warn and say you're going to receive lashes, then he really deserves lashes. So then we're going to have an exemption. But if there was no warning, so then there are no lashes, which is how Rabbi Yochanan explains our Mishnah. Our Mishnah is where there's no warning, no lashes, and therefore there's a fine. Says Rish Lakish, very interesting idea, which we'll have to continue with, which is that it doesn't depend, I'm of the opinion, says Rish Lakish, it doesn't depend on whether or not there's actually lashes there. As long as the person does an action which is deserving of lashes, even if there weren't witnesses there and there are no lashes in actuality, uh, but since the person did an action which could lead to lashes if there were to be witnesses there, so then there's still be an exemption of payments and therefore he could not have explained the Mishnayos based on Rabbi Yochanan because he couldn't differentiate between, between the two cases. Rather, he has to explain it like Rav Meir, even though Rav Meir is one opinion. He still has to, he's forced into saying that the Mishnah is like Rav Meir, that in a case of a kanas, of a fine, like uh, this case of, a, of, of seducing or raping uh, this girl who's between the ages of 12 and 12 and a half, that's a case where one would receive lashes and have to pay the fine. Okay, we'll have to continue with this discussion in the next class.